Please be seated. And so we come to Matthew's section of teaching about discipleship, about how we are to be disciples and what we can expect as disciples. In a sense, this section began a couple of weeks ago with our readings, the story of the woman with hemorrhages who was healed while Jesus was on his way to heal the daughter of a leader of the synagogue, a story that told of God's love and grace falling upon both the consummate insider, the leader of the synagogue, and the outsider, the woman on the fringes of society, the woman with hemorrhages. God's grace uh, falling on everybody, without exception, insiders and outsiders. And then last week, we heard how the news of that grace needs to be proclaimed, but the laborers are few. We heard of the story of the calling of the disciples, and then we move into hearing about what we can expect and what disciples can expect. And the first thing that Jesus talks about is we can expect conflict. We can expect that this new thing, this extraordinary, fantastic, wonderful news of God's grace will produce conflict. What's that about? What's that about? Standardly and often... We hear, well, conflict is inevitable as truth is told and people resist truth. And so we can expect conflict in that sense. And we go on and talk about how we must proclaim the gospel in all the right ways, holding fast to that which is true, remembering what is of true and importance and ultimate worth. And that's good and that's proper. But there's more to it. And that is that every single human relationship at one level or another involves negotiations about power or about control. And there's often a relative power or relative control, sometimes more obvious than others, between people. And you can have different relationships, different relative power with five people in a conversation. You can have a different relationship with each member of that group. A number of years ago, five, about five years ago, I had one of those transformative experiences Uh, that God grants us from time to time, those moments where you realize nothing will ever be quite the same and you start taking years to sort out the implications of the experience. Well, I was in a group of colleagues and we were talking about differences of power in relationships. We were talking about modern isms was the language we were using, racism and classism and sexism and so on. And one of the exercises we were asked to do was to think of a time when we were without power in a relationship, when we were in some sense in a position where our life was being defined by the other. And as a privileged, straight, white male, it was hard to find a time when I had not been in a powerful position in a relationship. It's it's actually more challenging than you would think. But in time, and with a little prompting, I started thinking about childhood. And I started thinking about going off to boarding school when I was nine, which I don't particularly regret. But I do remember how every single aspect of my life was defined and governed and controlled by others, including when we went to the bathroom, when we brushed our teeth, when we showered, the whole bit was completely and rigidly managed. And I remember almost the day 
when I thought, I will not be in the position of being governed like this again. And I thought about how that has shaped so many decisions in my life. And I realized that my thing is, I don't need to have power over you. But I need to make sure that you don't have power over me that I haven't given you. You see what, you see what I mean? It's very complicated, very complicated stuff, this, this business of power. And it affects all of us. And Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And you can expect conflict in your family. In your family. When you start following me. When you start, in a sense, saying things are not all that they could be. When you start pursuing righteousness or right relationship. You can expect that things will get tense. And things will get turned upside down. And there will be struggle. And there will be conflict. Now some people, in the face of conflict manage it by trying to get rid of it and pretending it's not there. Oh, we're really all the same. And therefore, let's just keep going and don't make a fuss. Because I'm actually quite happy with the fact that I define things around here. Or, you think about how a church does it. A church says, because God's grace is falls on everybody, then we're inclusive. And I get a little nervous about that because we're saying, we're including you. We are defining the norms, and you are welcome as long as you don't rock the boat. At least not too much, or in ways we don't approve of. The alternative to, to minimizing it is to say the conflict's too difficult, and therefore we've got to have clarity, and we've got to have, have a solution, and clearly the solution is majority rule. And therefore, the thing's been decided, and I'm sorry you lost. Get over it. You know? And that's not terribly helpful either when we're talking about relationship, right relationship, the kind of relationship held out, shown, marked, modeled, lived, made available to us in Jesus. The kind of relationship that is founded on self-giving love. And so how are people of faith to negotiate the reality of power and therefore conflict in our relationships? How are we to do it? And I think the answer is something akin to the law. Jesus came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. And when I think about the law, I think about that whole network of agreements, formal and un informal norms, mores, laws, agreements, canons, rules, that shape and express the agreements we've made about how we're going to live together, about how we're going to manage conflict and power in our relationships. And what happens when that's not working, then we have to keep doing the hard work of discernment, conversation, adjustment, shaping, shifting, creating space to figure out what the meaning of conflict is, how to enter back into a relationship where we are genuinely avoiding controlling one another, avoiding being doormats to one another, and in fact remembering that we are equal because we are made and created and loved and redeemed and forgiven by God. And getting to that point of righteousness is really, really difficult, hard work. But for people of faith, there is also and always hope. 
as long as we tell the truth as we understand it, as long as we share the good news that we have received, as long as we tell in the light what, and don't mess with things in the darkness, as long as we remember and trust in God's love, then we need no have no fear. And then we will be able to manage our way through conflict, and conflict will not be the last word, rather righteousness. I did not come to bring peace, says Jesus, but rather a sword. There will be conflict. But remember that God's grace falls on everyone, the insider and the outsider, the powerful and the powerless, everyone calling us into this new humanity where our power is solely the power of love and not the power of control and the power of dominance and the power of manipulation and the power of secrecy and all of those other things that pervert our relationships. I'd like to suggest for your prayer, uh, both starting now and in the week to come, that you consider that exercise before God. Where have you been without power? Where has someone else defined you? What was that like for you? And then carry that into your relationships with others, particularly those relationships where you're aware that you have the power and see what difference that makes. Invite the Holy Spirit to work through you in the days to come. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.